You're not going to heaven through this church. <laughs> if you're in this church, it's because you're already on your way to heaven if you're part of this church. Uh, when I say part of, I mean more than just in your attendance, too. I mean in a spiritual sense, God tells us that the church is his bride, is his family. And to be connected to his church, you have to be connected through Christ. And then once you connect through Christ, he imparts upon you the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit comes upon you through salvation, trusting in Christ, connection with Christ, you are now part of his church. And so church doesn't get you to heaven. You get to heaven through Christ, and you get to be part of the church on the way. Praise the Lord, redeemed through Christ alone. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, looking at verses 16 through 33 this morning. I miss you guys. I was uh, on the opportunity to visit my family in Colorado, had a great time, but I got to say, honestly, I am really, really glad to be back, not because I didn't enjoy my time in Colorado. I love my family. I love my parents. I did have a great time, but my, my home is here, my family. I have a bigger family than just my parents, and you are my family, and while spending time with my family, I miss my family. By spending time with my parents at their home, I missed my home, and I am truly glad to be back with you this morning worshiping God. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There are three points this morning, but the overall idea this morning, remember I told you weeks ago, I said, as we get towards the end of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is going to come down pretty heavy on those false teachers that had gotten into the Corinthian church and were leading the people away from God. We're manipulating the people and causing them to look at man rather than the God of man to look at the spiritual leaders rather than the God who gave those leaders their position. These leaders, in their pride, were lifting themselves up rather than God. That doesn't mean that everything they said was wrong. It's very likely, it's very possible for a spiritual leader to say all the right things. They're preaching the Word of God. They, they bring up the Bible, but ever so subtly, they insert truths or partial truths that imply that they are better than they actually are and that you should see them in a way uh, more than God's word says you should. Look, I am a servant of God. My job as a servant of God is to point you to God, not the servant. I'm just a servant. I'm nothing special. My job here is to help you recognize you're also a servant of God. You're no better than me. You're no worse than me. But once I help you recognize that, then hopefully we can all serve God together. Unfortunately, that's not what's going on here in this text. That's not what's going on in this church. These servants of God were trying to elevate their status above that as a servant and trying to bring themselves closer to God. And they would say something like, well, you're here, God's there, but I'm somewhere here. I'm below God, but above you. And you too can be above others if you just rise to the occasion. If you just become like me, you also, like me, can be above others. Whereas I would challenge you, don't be like me. You'll regret that. Be like Christ. You're much better off being like Christ. I have no desire to be like you, and I hope you have none to be like me. But we can all be like Christ, and that's a beautiful thing. So the title of this morning's message, Deceived. Let's take a look at some verses here. Chapter 11 and verse 16. I say again, let no man think me a fool. <laughs> okay, 
I, you, you feel like the Apostle Paul is uh, feeling a little guilty. He had literally just preached a chapter, most of a chapter, on the foolishness of comparing ourselves to each other. And since we started chapter 11, that's all he's been doing. In chapter 10, he says, don't compare yourselves. And now chapter 11, he says, now I'm going to be a fool and compare myself. And he says it at the beginning of chapter 11, and he says it in the middle of chapter 11. He's basically saying, I know what I told you before. It's foolish to compare ourselves. But I explained last time we were together two weeks ago, the apostle Paul feels like he's placed in this position by these leaders who only always compare themselves and by the Corinthian church who's accepted that as status quo. Like, this is what you do. Who's the best? We're going to follow the best. So the Apostle Paul says, look, it's foolish to figure out who is the best. Christ is the best. We already know that. But since you guys are so caught up on this, I'm hoping you'll listen to me. So I'm going to be a fool like the fools you follow to get you to listen to me so I can point you back to the best. So basically, the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to play the fool for a moment so we can step outside of this foolishness and follow who is really worthy of our praise, God. But for a moment, I'm going to play the fool. That's what he's saying throughout chapter 11. So he's, he's going to compare himself. Now, verse number, uh, let's go on to verse number 17. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were, foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly. <laughs> he says, you follow fools, you do it gladly, you do it willingly, you are looking for fools. It's almost like you won't follow them unless they are a fool. Now, these fools aren't your average fool. They look good. They are good actors. They know what to say. A fool isn't an idiot. A fool is someone who denies God his power, or his truth doesn't mean they're stupid. It means they're prideful, arrogant, deceived. But they could look smart. They could look like they got it together, and they could look confident. And in that confidence leads you away from God. And he says you suffer fools gladly, willingly. <laughs> he says you want to follow them. And in verse number uh, 20, for ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. The Apostle Paul says these fools are manipulating you, and worse, they're abusing you. He said these fools could literally punch you and you'd still follow them. They could smite you on the face. You'd still follow them. They could, they could degrade you publicly and call your name out from the pulpit and say, you know, that Russ Smith, he's not here today. He sure is, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm doubtful of his salvation. I wonder if he's really saved. Literally calling you out by name from the pulpit, and you would say, oh, I'm so sorry, Master. I'll be there next Sunday. They could abuse you emotionally, they could abuse you spiritually, they could abuse you physically, and you will still follow them. And I say you, I don't mean you, hopefully not. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. How would you feel if I was saying that about you, right? Would you feel like, wow, that hurts, Russ, right? How do you think the Corinthian church is feeling? The Apostle Paul is saying you. He's like meaning you, the Corinthian church. And he's saying, guys, you're following fools, and they're not harmless fools. It's not harmless fun going on here. These guys are dangerous, and they could put you in bondage. 
they could tie you back up spiritually to sin that God frees you from, to guilt that God has no intention for you to hold on to. And yet these spiritual leaders are manipulating you and keeping you in check and controlling you through bondage. They become your masters, not your servant. And you don't see them as a servant of God. You see them almost as God. You may say they're not God, but in your head you feel like if I say no to them, I say no to God. Well, that's God. If I speak ill of them, I speak ill of God. Well, that's God. That's not how it works. It's okay for you to be upset with me. It's all right. I'm a human, and I'll, I'll, I'll do things that will probably make you upset. Don't feel guilty. Let's get it right. Let's have a conversation. But you being upset with me doesn't bring God's wrath down on you. I'm not God. I'm human. We can work it out. These men, not so much. These men would have portrayed themselves as anything you do to me, you do to God. That's dangerous. So, let's go ahead and look at our our passage this morning. I have three main points. Masters of men, secure in men, and superior to men. Masters of men, secure in men, and superior to men. All three of these points coming from an attack, because that's what this passage is doing. It is attacking this foolish, evil, ungodly style of leadership, and yet these Three points are about the leaders, not the followers. Why? Well, Pastor Russ, you know, what's the purpose? I mean, you know, we're not in here because we are these kinds of leaders, and and I hope to God you don't think I'm this kind of leader because I am a realist, and I recognize most of you will not be here five years from now. Most of you will probably not be here 10, 15 years from now. God moves people on. You're going to have a new church someday. You're going to go somewhere else. You're going to move, and I want you. I love you enough to recognize you will not always be with me the rest of our lives. You will not always be sitting here the rest of our lives. I recognize that. I'm okay with that. I want you to go with God wherever that is. And so God's word is preparing you this morning on what kind of leaders you should follow when that time comes. And I hope that as a church, we will always bring in the proper type of leaders here at Meriden Hills. But it is your responsibility to make sure that we do, that I do, that I never bring in a leader that looks like this in in 2 Corinthians. But it's also your responsibility that when God does move you to a different church or to a different city, that you find a church whose leaders aren't these guys. (laughs) All right. Masters of men, first point. That's how these men view themselves, by the way. Again, not servants, but masters. So we already read verses 16 through 20. Let's go ahead and just pick up with our points now. Masters of men. First of all, letter A, servants embrace humility. Masters dwell in pride. Right, A master does not put themselves below the servant. The master says, you're the servant, I'm the master. You're, you're the employee, I'm the boss. Right? I own the business, you don't. I pay you to serve me. Right? That's understandable. You work at a job, you get paid, that makes sense. You do get paid to do what your boss asks. I get that. Except a church isn't a business, and these guys aren't your boss. And they certainly aren't paying you. <laughs> If anything, it's the other way around. And yet these men have twisted scripture and twisted logic to make you think you are paying them to be your master. In what situation does that ever happen where you pay someone to be your master? You don't. And so if you, in your tithes and offerings, are giving to God's kingdom, and if from those tithes and offerings... You have voted and allowed for me to support my family. 
then you are not necessarily paying me directly. You are giving to God and allowing my pay to come from that. That is not so I can be your master. You are supporting me so I can continue to be your servant. That is the philosophy of a godly spiritual leader at any level. And yet these men, that's not the case. Look at verse 16 again. Let no man think me a fool, uh, yet as a fool receive me. Verse 17, that, I, with that which I speak, I speak it at, not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly. Verse 18, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. Verse 19, for ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. Now what does that mean in verse number uh, 19 where it says, you suffer fools gladly, seeing you're wise? Meaning, you think you're so wise that you think you can't be fooled. But in your false wisdom, you have been fooled. You think that no one can trick you, and so you're easily tricked. In your arrogance of how smart you are, these guys are playing you, is what verse 19 is saying. He's not complimenting them on their wisdom. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's sarcasm. He's saying, in your wisdom, you're letting fools lead you. And then verse 20, if a man bring you into bondage, these men are trying to control you. God did not place a pastor in your life to control you. Let me ask you, what is the only thing, the only one who should control you? Do you know? The Holy Spirit. That's it. In fact, in one passage, the Holy Spirit is, refer, is comparison, contrasting to drunkenness, where if you get drunk, that can control your, your faculties, your actions, your thoughts. And, and so God is saying, just like when you're drunk, you, like, you kind of lose control. Yes, you are still you. You know, alcohol didn't, didn't possess you in some demonic way, but alcohol influenced you heavily on what you do and say. And then when you're no longer drunk, you're kind of back to what you normally do. He says, I want you to recognize it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. And he says to be drunk, not with wine, but with the Spirit. That doesn't mean you're, you know, walking around drunk spiritually. But in a similar way, the Holy Spirit has such a heavy influence on your life that there is you not influenced by the Holy Spirit and you influenced by the Holy Spirit. And there's a major noticeable difference between the two, right? There's you drunk and there's you sober. And it's an obvious comparison contrast between those two. Is there... Such an obvious comparison contrast to be heavily influenced by the Holy Spirit and not heavily influenced by the Holy Spirit. I can tell you for me, there is. I can tell you. There's days where I recognize I'm not heavily influenced by the Holy Spirit, and I realize, well, that was a, that was a bad day, right? I, I, I suffered anxiety I didn't have to suffer. I went through stress that was not necessary. I, I was a little more harsh. I was not a little more, probably more harsh, more cruel in the way I dealt with people than when I'm heavily influenced by the Holy Spirit. There's a noticeable difference. For the Christian, it should not be weekend party time, you know? A lot of people, they, they, they drink, and they drink heavily on the weekends. And then they go back to work, and they're back to their normal, you know, whatever that looks like, self. Same with Christians. It's like Christian party time. They get drunk with the Holy Spirit on the weekends, and they're praising Jesus and lifting their hands and swaying. And, oh, it's a beautiful time. And the kids see them and say, who is this person? Because this is not the father I go home with on Monday. This is not the mom that speaks to me on Wednesday. And then on Sunday, oh, there they are again, right? Like, this is two different people. It's not how it should look, folks. Stop considering your Christian walk like an alcoholic who drinks on the weekends and gets drunk and becomes a different person, but on Monday is back to the normal self. 
and be a Christian who is influenced by the Holy Spirit every day of the week. Every day. These men, they are so arrogant. They say, you don't need to ask the Holy Spirit. Ask me. I'll tell you what he wants you to do. These men say, you know what? It's hard to be influenced by God, right? It's so ambiguous. Like, what does that look like to be influenced by God? Like, you can't see him. You can't feel him. But, hey, you can see me. So let me, let me influence you in God's place. Let me be God to you. Because I know, look, I'm more spiritual than you, so I, I can be influenced by God, and then I'll do what he does for me. I'll do that for you. Because it's so hard for to be like me. Not everyone can do what I do. Not everyone can be as close to God like I am. Not everyone can see God as clearly as me. But all of you can see me. So I promise, I promise to do exactly for you what God does for me. That's being your master. That's controlling you. That's eliminating God and inserting a middleman. <laughs> no, get rid of the middleman. All you need is God. Any influence I have on you, I am grateful for. But never let that replace the influence of God. And always ask yourself, does Russ's influence point me to God or away from God? If it's away from God, we need to have a conversation. Either something's wrong with you or something's wrong with me. Let's figure it out. But never, ever let my influence be more than God's. God is your master. We are all servants. Letter B. Arrogance breeds arrogance. <laughs> This is so true. Arrogance breeds arrogance. So first of all, we see the pride of these guys, right? I mean, these are masters of men. We see their pride. We see how they're boasting in uh, verse 16. Uh, Let no man think me a fool. He says, I'm going to boast a little myself. Why? Because in 17, and uh, you know, I got to because that's what they're doing. He says, I speak not after the Lord, but foolishly in this confidence boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh. Verse 18, they're boasting, so now I have to, to help you recognize I can play with the big dogs. The Apostle Paul is basically saying, these guys place themselves, they're the doctors, they're the PhDs, you know, they're the professors, and they say, listen to me, listen to me. The Apostle Paul says, look, I'm going to give you my credentials just so you can listen to me so I can point you back to God, right? That's what's going on here. I'm going to play the fool. I'm going to have a title. I'm, look, normally... You, you call me Russ. I'm happy to be called Russ. You don't have to call me Pastor Russ. I've known people where if you don't call them Pastor so-and-so, they're offended. I've known people, if you don't call them Dr. So-and-so, they're offended. There's some arrogance going on there. The only reason I would say Pastor Russ is because someone needs to recognize there's some authority there, usually children, not adults. All right? So these guys are trying to boast of titles. As the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to also have to show you my title so we can be on the same page. You can listen to me. But these men are prideful. And then he says, in verse number 19, he says, you are only thinking you are wise because you're following fools and true wisdom wouldn't follow a fool. So what is it that breeds arrogance? Arrogance feeds arrogance. Arrogance breeds arrogance. And what is it that causes us to become arrogant? What is it that starts the arrogance in our lives? It's when we stop seeing ourselves through God's eyes. Because the moment we see ourselves again through God's eyes and we recognize who we are in Christ, 
both the good and the bad, right? The bad, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner who needs a savior. The good, I'm a child of God. There is not just one, there's both. And the moment we see both, it brings humility and it brings thankfulness. But when we step away from God and start seeing ourselves through the world's eyes, through people who like us or dislike us, it just feeds pride, feeds arrogance, and then in our arrogance, we just recreate it in other people. You know what I found? Not always true, often the case. And if it's not true, it's just because there has not been enough time yet. Because given enough time, in my experience, in my personal belief, it always is true, given enough time. In a church where the leadership is prideful, given enough time, the congregation is prideful. One of two things will happen. Those who were once humble become prideful or they leave. Because someone who's truly humble cannot stand those who are truly arrogant. You say, well, Pastor Russ, I go to a lot of churches where they're arrogant, prideful leaders and the people seem cowed, right? Like they're in complete submission. Just because they're in submission doesn't mean they're humble. It means that they are pridefully, arrogantly in their place. And what you will find is these people will defer to the pastor and then cause someone else to say, he's there, I'm here, but you're down there. And it's just going to be a ladder, a stepping ladder in the church. And everyone has their place, and everyone has to defer to whoever else is in the place above them. It's just arrogance ran, run rampant in the church. The leadership is prideful. Even the, the pseudo-leadership, you know, those who aren't truly leaders, not paid leadership, but given. I mean, the doorman is prideful. I mean, the guy was given the opportunity to open the door, and they're arrogant in the way they open the door. How do you do that? I don't know. The, the people whose job it is to hold plates and hand the plates if they do offering, they're arrogant. How can you arrogantly take up offering? I don't know. But at every level, you see arrogance spreading like a weed through the church because arrogance breeds arrogance. And these Corinthian believers arrogantly think we're smart. We're only, we've only got the best leaders. The apostle Paul says, no, you don't. Your wisdom is a lie because you're following fools. How could they be so easily deceived? That will tell you something about arrogance. The more arrogant you are, the easier you are to control. Yeah? Did you know that? The more arrogant, the more prideful you are, the easier it is to control you. Now, it does not mean a prideful person can be told what to do. Because if they're prideful, they probably won't like to be told what to do. But someone who knows how to manipulate you will not manipulate you by what they tell you to do, by what they tell you in general, by how they treat you. And they basically, like a sheepdog, right? The sheepdog doesn't tell the sheep. The sheepdog gets around, barks at them, dips at their heels, and, and directs the sheep and does whatever they got to do in, in a variety of ways to get the sheep to go in that direction. When you are prideful, you are easily controlled, easily steered. When you are humble, people have less uh, uh, opportunity to manipulate you, to control you, to deceive you. So these Corinthian believers, because they're so arrogant, because they're so prideful, they are easily controlled by arrogant leaders. So if you find yourself being controlled by the emotions, the statements, the actions of others, then the answer is be humble, and they'll lose that control over you. Letter C, when you accept a master, you ignore abuse. If a man bring you into bondage, becomes your master, basically, devours you, take of you a man, exalt himself, smite you on the face, literally, not metaphorically, literally smacking these guys on the face. This is a different culture, and they, I'm not saying in any culture it's okay to hit people, but in this, this culture at that time, 
it would have been more accepted to, to slap someone, to spit on someone. It would have been a degrading thing, but it would have been more done than, the, than in 21st century American culture. I think this is literal. I think that these leaders, like, what is wrong with you? And literally smack the guy in the face, and the guy says, I'm sorry, I will never do it again. Like, like they literally are hitting people in the church. That's how I see it. I really see it that way. I don't think the Apostle Paul is saying, like, you know, you know, it's not really happening, but they're, like, emotionally slapping you. No, they're getting hit by these supposed spiritual leaders. And the Apostle Paul says, you let them hit you, and you continue following them? You let them abuse you. You let them control you. You let them manipulate you. You let them call you out publicly, and you still follow them? I'll tell you why. Because if you're the servant and they're the master, then you just accept whatever they do. That's how it works. The servants don't get a choice. The servants don't get to think. The servants are told, and the servants respond. And that is the danger of making any human being your master. Because there is no human being on this earth that is pure enough to handle that well. None. You want a master? God. He'll do good by you. No other man, no other woman will. The moment a human being tries to become your master in marriage, in church, in a friendship, the moment they try to become your master is the moment they try to replace God because you only have one master, we're told, right? One master, only one. His name is God. The moment anyone, for any reason, tries to become your master, they are trying to replace God. That is unbiblical, dangerous, and downright wicked. Do not ever go to a church. Do not ever enter into a relationship where someone outrightly says or implies they're the master, you're the servant. That's not going to work. We're all servants serving one master, God. Because once you accept a master, you accept the abuse. Number two, secure in men. How can these evil, manipulative, controlling men find churches in which to thrive? How can these men be so rampant in church circles? How can it be that if you went to, you know, 10 random churches, you are likely to find at least one, if not multiple churches, out of any random 10 where a manipulative, controlling, foolish, uh, supposed spiritual leader is ruling the church, lording over the church. How could that be? How are Christians, how are churches letting these men have control? Number two, they find their security in the men that they're controlling. Letter A, those who don't find their confidence in Christ seek their confidence in men. Verse 21, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, howbeit whereinsoever any is bold, I am bold also. He says, I speak foolishly, I'm bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. What's going on? These Israelites were saying, oh, look at our spiritual leaders. They're Jews. They're Hebrews. These, these guys are the top, like they're from the best tribe of Israel. They're, they're learned men. These churches are letting themselves be abused and manipulated by masters of men because these churches find their security in the acceptance of other men. And especially the acceptance of men they think are important. When I was young, that was a thing. 
I remember completely embarrassing myself one time. I, this actually was not as long ago as I'd like to admit. This was probably only like uh, eight years ago. All right, so I was my, my young 30s, late 20s, and I was visiting my alma mater, Pensacola Christian College, and I was there uh, for a conference, and at the conference there was a speaker who I had been listening to since I was a college student. I was, I was 19 listening to this guy, and I thought, oh, man, this guy is such a great man of God. He loves God. He's a great speaker. He's a great communicator, and I, 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 I uh, honored this guy, and I thought this guy, I would love to meet this guy someday. Well, I'm, I'm 30 now, right? I'm not 19 anymore, and I'm coming back for a conference. He's a speaker there. And I was talking with someone who knew this guy, and so I was introduced to him on a personal level. I mean, I was like a little schoolgirl meeting this guy for the first time. I was like, oh, I, oh, I was 30 years old. And so the guy, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you who this guy is. You may or may not know him. He doesn't, he's not from Connecticut, but he's a pretty well-known guy. And so he's like, oh, I'd love to have lunch time. I said, oh, that'd be great. I'd love to have I, I can do lunch anytime. Like, my schedule's wide open. I said, here's my number. You call me. He said, Okay. I never got a call, okay? <laughs> he didn't call me. I know. He didn't call me. When I was younger, I did. I, 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 I respect men. I love, I love men and women both who love God. That warms my heart to see men and women loving God. When I was younger, I put them on a pedestal. And I think a lot of young men and women do that. They place people on pedestals who don't deserve to be there. And I think this guy was wise enough to see I was doing that. He's probably, he probably thought, it's probably not good that I give this kid any more opportunity to do that than is necessary. Maybe I just creeped him out. I don't know. But he's never spoken to me since. He never texted me either. Nothing happened. It was gone. He ghosted me. So when, when I placed this guy on a pedestal, I was doing so because in my own mind, this guy was such an awesome Christian. Like me being next to him, me being near him in some way like made me awesome. Like I was still, you know, in my mind, immature enough to believe that in some way I was a better person just by eating lunch with this guy. Now, I don't longer believe that, okay? And uh, I'm so glad that I'm past that stage of my life, and I'm encouraging you to, to jump past that stage a lot faster than I did. There is no need to gain any confidence in the other men and women that you're around. You have enough confidence gained from the God who loves you. So... Great people, unknown people, rich people, poor people, pretty people, ugly people. It doesn't matter. Don't feel better or worse because of the people you're around. You can feel as confident as you need to because of the God who loves you. And then people, they're just people. Unfortunately, for these Corinthian believers, that was not the case. They thought highly of these men, and I'm pretty confident, felt better about themselves by being around these men. And so they placed these men over them so they could find security in themselves, but it wasn't in Christ, it was in each other. They were finding their confidence and security in each other. And the Apostle Paul is saying, all right, you think you're special because your pastors are good men, great men. You think you're special because these guys are the Hebrew of Hebrews, all right? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew as well. Like, it doesn't get better than me, all right? Listen to me now. But then, again, notice when the Apostle Paul's done, he's going to point them to Christ. Whereas these men say, listen to me, I'm so great, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews, listen to me. Okay, letter B. Not all servants of Christ are actively serving Christ. In verses 23 through 27, I'm not going to read all of these verses. You can do so on your own. But the Apostle Paul begins to list all of the things he's been through. Actually, a very famous passage. In verse 24, he talks about being uh, whipped. In verse 25, 
talks about being beaten with stones, uh, with rods and stones. He talks about being shipwrecked in verse 26. He talks about uh, during his journeys being in peril of his life and in danger of his physical health. He talks about being in peril from Christians and unbelievers both. And the Apostle Paul basically says, okay, you look at the credentials of these men and you think that you're good and you're a better Christian because these men in your eyes are great men. He says, you know what? They only claim it. I live it. Again, the Apostle Paul is boasting, right? He is comparing himself. He's saying, now compare the real deal to the false deal. These guys just talk a good talk. Look at my walk. Have these guys been in peril of their life throughout multiple years? Have these guys been beaten? Have these guys been shipwrecked? Have these guys been stoned and left for dead? No. They just talk confidently about how awesome they are. I'm actually doing the work. Not all servants of Christ are actively serving Christ. You know what I find? Arrogant men often don't actually do much. Watch them. You know what they're really good at? And you know what they'll say they're good at? Oh, my spiritual gift is administration. That's what I'm good at. What does that mean? Basically, you get the shovel and I watch you. And I will direct you on what to do. That's their spiritual gift. Whether it is or is not, everyone seems to be okay with that. Everyone just thinks that that's a normal thing. Like the greatest leaders are the ones who don't get their hands dirty. And the Apostle Paul says, nah, uh The greatest leaders are the ones getting their hands dirty. Not giving you the shovel, taking it from you and saying, there's only one shovel? I got this. Take a break. There's two shovels? Now we can dig together. But I'm not going to make you take the only shovel. These leaders, they only said amazing things, but didn't actually get anything done. I find that to be so true in both Christian circles and secular, right? In the business world, is that the case? Like the ones elevated to higher levels are almost the ones that have like no experience, no knowledge. And if, you, if they were to do what they're telling you to do, it would be inexcusable. They'd be fired. Like they wouldn't be able to accomplish at the level you do what you do. But they get paid more to tell you how to do it better, and you know they can't do it better themselves. The best leaders are the ones who did it, did it well, and can show you how it's done. That's the Apostle Paul. Did it, did it well, and he says, now I'll show you how it's done. Letter C, serving Christ requires much sacrifice. Impressing men, much less. So the Apostle Paul basically is saying, I'm not here to, I'm not here to impress you guys. I never have been. The things that I do, the sacrifices that I make, I, I do for God. I do because look at Christ has done for me, and I want to do as much as I can for him. It will never, ever, ever come close to paying him back for what he gave me. But I am as sure, out of my love, going to make every effort I can to give something back to him. But when it comes to impressing men... It's an altogether different strategy. You see, because when you're serving Christ, it's not so much how you look on the outside. It's more of what's going on here, the real deal. When it comes to impressing men, men can't see this. Inevitably, you are almost forced to be fake when impressing men. Leaders who have their eyes on men, they may have started off well, and I've known some. Throughout my life, I've known some pastors. I thought, man, they started off so strong. What happened? How did they end up the way they did? You know, into sin or maybe not. You know, not necessarily immorality didn't take them over or nothing wrong. They just are just bad leaders. Looking at them, they're like abusive leaders. They started off well. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. They went from serving Christ and trying to love Christ 
to trying to impress men. And in that process, they lost the sincerity and the fire and the, and the desire to truly be and to do what's right to, well, what do people think about me? And when you go from that to the next, everything changes. And these leaders in the Corinthian church were not the real deal because they were just looking to impress men, which just meant they had to be good actors. And for fools, that's not so hard. It's not hard to fool a fool. Secure in men. So Christians, you are almost guaranteed to have arrogant, prideful leaders if your security is in the people you connect with. If you think you're better because you're around people who are better, then you will only in the future. If I ever died or something happened, I retired someday, and you're going to look for a new lead pastor or if we need to hire another pastor, you're only going to hire guys that make you feel better about yourself when you're around them. Those men are probably arrogant actors. But when your security is in Christ, you're going to look for spiritual leaders who reflect Christ, not impress you and not make you feel better about yourself when you're around them. Number three, superior to men. Now, we've been talking about arrogance all morning, but these guys obviously in their arrogance think they're literally better than God's church. These guys don't think that they're just leaders of God's church. They think they're a level up, multiple levels up above God's church. Verse 28, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. You know, in verses 27 earlier, he's talking about all the problems he went through life. And in his sincere journey of following Christ, he was harmed often. And now in verse 28, he's saying, aside from all of those things outside, I also have struggles because of God's church. Verse 29, Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is offended, and I burn not. Okay, in verse 29, the Apostle Paul says, Who is weak in the church? Who has struggles in the church? Who's sinned and regretted? Who has sinned and repented? He said, Who needs a Savior? The Apostle Paul says, I do. I am. I have. He's literally saying, When I look at the church, I look at the church full of weak men and women, and I'm one of them. He says, Who's weak? Join the club. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, pretty extensively. He says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. The things I know I should be doing, I don't do. The Apostle Paul was not a better man than anyone. The Apostle Paul just had a deeper love than most for God. That's what made him stand out. Not his righteousness, his love. He says, you're weak, so am I. He says, who in the church is offended And doesn't cause me to burn. What does that mean? He loved God so much that his love for God's people was almost unimaginable. Almost unrealistic. Whereas the Apostle Paul said, when someone in God's church was offended, when someone in God's church was hurt by me or anyone else, it literally caused me to burn. Not the burning feeling of, uh, I'm so excited, uh, this is going to be amazing, I can't sleep. No, the burning feeling of anxiety, the burning feeling of anger, righteous wrath. He says, how dare someone offend one of God's people? How dare me? If it was me, what was I thinking? It bothers me so much that I would offend one of God's people. I can't sleep at night from the burning sensation of knowing someone has been wronged. I've got to remedy that. And if it wasn't my fault, I want to be part of helping them find healing, even if I wasn't the cause. That's what he's saying here. It's an amazing thing, and I'm sure I know it's true. 
I, I wish we had more leaders like that. He says in verse number 30, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. And then in verses 32 and 33, he goes on to talk. And he says, there was a time when I was in a city and I was preaching the word of God and the local you know, governmental system found out I was there, didn't like it, and wanted to kill me. And he said, I had to escape. And I escaped over the wall in a basket for a grown Jewish man to be let down a rope holding on to a basket, a food basket, was not an honorable thing. He was saying, if I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in my dishonor that I experienced for the Lord. I'm going to say, hey, you want to look at something? All right. Look at the time that I completely embarrassed myself escaping from a city that wanted to kill me. Are you willing to do that? (laughs) Not look at me be great. Look at me be lowly for the sake of a great God. Superior to men. That was, unfortunately, not the kind of leadership the Corinthian church had. Letter A. Those who have placed themselves above others cannot be bothered with the problems of others. It is not the master's position to be concerned for the servant. It is the servant's condition to say what does the master need, not the master to say what the servant needs. And so if you've chosen a master over yourself, then do not ask that master to be concerned for you. That's not their job. If you've allowed a master to be over you, then do not be offended when that master doesn't care about you. Because a master has no responsibility to care about you. You are supposed to care about the master in a human level. You know what's great about our God? God is not only our master, but he's also our father and our brother He refers to us as his bride, the church, and the husband. And he actually tells husband loves their wives as he loves the church. If God only described himself as a master, then I would have to say we probably serve a pretty harsh God. But God describes himself in many other ways to balance that out. These men, no. These men just say, we're in charge, you're not. That's the only description, which means you're hurt, whatever. That's not my job. See, these Christians are suffering silently. These Christians are suffering in their own guilt. This Corinthian church is hurting and crying and lost and rejected. And the leaders who should be embracing them, like the Apostle Paul, feeling a burning inside until the problem is remedied, no, these leaders just say, I don't have time for you. Find someone else. That's not my job. I'm the pastor. I'm too busy. As the Apostle Paul said, no, I'm the pastor. I burn when you hurt. Letter B, spiritual leaders are not better than others. They are merely a reflection of God's mercy and grace. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Pastors are not better men. Spiritual leaders are not better men and women. Pastors are men who need God just as much as you do and who have accepted the call to serve God's people. And that calling requires us to reflect God's love to you. And that is what I want to do. That is my goal, my desire. And if I fail in that, please let me know. 
My goal is not to control you. That doesn't help me or you. I do not want to manipulate you. I don't have any interest in playing that game. You have a life, and your life answers to God, not me. If in any way I, my wife, my other pastors, my fellow men, uh, pastoral staff, and their wives, if there's any way we can assist you in serving God, that is our desire. Our heart burns when you hurt. We recognize your weakness. You know how we know that? Because we have it as well. I don't know your weaknesses because I put cameras in your home. I know your weaknesses because I live in one myself. I don't know the weaknesses of your marriage because I've interviewed your spouse. I know the weaknesses because I'm married. I don't know the weaknesses of your children because I've, behind your back, asked them questions about you. I know your weaknesses of your children because I have five. You're weak. I'm weak. Your family suffers. My family suffers. Your children are imperfect. Welcome to the club. But I love you. God loves you. My heart burns when one of you are hurting. Why? Not because I'm a better man, but because I, to the best of my ability, embrace the heart of God. And God's heart burns when you are hurting. A spiritual leader doesn't lord over you, doesn't control you. They merely reflect the mercy and grace that God has offered to me first and then reflected to you. God was merciful to me because I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm weak. And I'm so grateful for that mercy. And you can have it too. Let her see, and we're done. God's power is best illustrated when we are powerless. The Apostle Paul starts off this section, verses 16 and on, about how great he is. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I've done so many things for God. I don't just talk the talk. I walk the walk, right? Look at me. If you want to talk about boasting, no one can beat my resume. But then at the end, I told you, he points to God. At the end, he says, the best part of my resume is God's power, not mine. And the best way to see God's power is when I'm being lowered in a basket outside a city wall. <laughs> Hebrew of Hebrews had to escape through a basket. The Pharisee of Pharisees had to escape through a basket. A man more zealous for truth and right you will never meet this side of heaven had to escape through a basket. And he says, that is when you see God clearly. I'm going to glory in that. I'm not going to glory in my accomplishments. I'm going to glory in the moments where in spite of all of my efforts, in spite of all of my strength, in spite of all my experience, it was not enough. But God. Then God showed up. I'm going to glory in those moments. I mean, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm not lowered in a basket every day of my life. And I appreciate the moments where God is giving me the experience and the ability and to do and to move forward for him. But I glory in the moments where I hit a wall, there's nowhere else to go, and God shows up. Those are the moments where I say, praise the Lord, he's here. We're not superior to each other, but God is superior to us. And when we are powerless, that is the greatest opportunity to point to a powerful God. Let's pray.